dancing, yes, my darling daughter. Mama, may I try romancing, yes, my darling daughter. Welcome to Our Mothers Ourselves, a weekly conversation about one extraordinary mother. I'm Katie Hafner, and I'm your host. Happy Mother's Day, and welcome to this inaugural podcast of Our Mothers Ourselves. It's a free-flowing conversation I'll be having with a different guest every week to talk about her or his mother. This week, I'm speaking with Ellen Fitzpatrick. Ellen is Presidential Professor of History at the University of New Hampshire. She's the author and or editor of eight books, including The Highest Glass Ceiling, Women's Quest for the American Presidency, and Letters to Jackie, Condolences from a Grieving Nation, which was a New York Times bestseller. So, in celebration of Mother's Day today, I thought we'd take a little time to celebrate the life so far of Ellen Fitzpatrick's mother. Ellen's mother hasn't had a flashy life or one that made her famous, but it's been a life that left a deep impression on hundreds of people at a pivotal time in their lives. And it makes you think. It can really matter how you live your life every day. This is a woman who was well ahead of her time when it came to having a family, six kids by the way, and a job, and not just any job, but a long career in something she had a true gift for, and that was mathematics. The reason I've asked Ellen to join me is that her mother was my math teacher back in the 1970s in Amherst, Massachusetts. In 10th grade, I was in Mrs. Fitzpatrick's geometry class. Mrs. Fitzpatrick made all of us love math. It's not that she made it fun, but she made math interesting, even eye-opening. And that's why, all these years later, I'm still grateful to Mrs. Fitzpatrick. And with that, Ellen Fitzpatrick, happy Mother's Day, and thank you so much for being here. Pleasure, Katie. Thanks for asking me. First of all, <laughs> I have to tell you that your mother has always been Mrs. Fitzpatrick to me. <laughs> Her first name is Mary. She has a first name. <laughs> I'm wondering, could you uh, give us a sense of her presence, both physical and kind of the less tangible traits of your mother? My enduring memory of her is that she always looked like she had just stepped out of the beauty salon, which is what we used to call the stylist. <laughs> yes, she cared a lot about that, and she still does. She's 98 years old now, and um, she always was impeccably dressed. I remember as a child uh, just being in awe of her, uh, you know, perfect nails and hair and jewelry and uh, clothing. And um, I guess the, the wonderful and interesting to me as an academic paradox was that she was also such a math brainiac. 
I, <laughs> I don't always put these two things together, but they came together very naturally in my mother. Let's go back. Uh, so you grew up in Amherst, Massachusetts. Uh, and what do you remember about her as a mom? Well, my mother um, has an interesting past because she was an only child and she went on, very doted upon by her parents, and she went on to have six children and a pretty, you know, rambunctious, boisterous lot we were. Um, what I remember about my mother, interestingly, growing up in Amherst in the 50s, it was really a kind of Protestant Republican redoubt, which is sort of hard to imagine today when you think about what Amherst is like. Uh, but we were a large Irish Catholic family, and my mother worked unlike most other mothers. She went back to work actually not too long after I was born, first um, as a assistant to a chemist at Amherst College, and then later she began teaching. So I had a mother who worked, which was not uh, true of most of my friends. And um, she was busy, and yet she took a tremendous interest in all of us. And uh, she actually taught me math. I was not a very good math student. About half of the six got her math skills, and the other half didn't. I was in the half that didn't. And I think today I still wouldn't be able to add, subtract, divide, or multiply had she not sat me down after dinner each night with flashcards. So, she was a very devoted and interested parent, uh, but, you know, a busy one as well. So I'd like to go back uh, what, uh, and talk to you a little bit about your um, mother's childhood, where she grew up, and how you understand her childhood to have been. I grew up in uh, New Bedford, Massachusetts. And it's an interesting story because her father came to the United States from Ireland in the early 20th century. He was a boy at the time, I think maybe eight years old. His name was Martin Callahan. And he became a, uh, ultimately he became a foreman in the textile mills where many immigrants worked uh, in this part of Massachusetts. And she, her mother also belonged, I think, to this wider circle of Irish, um, you know, uh, her, her father, her mother, her, my mother's grandfather had been in the United States much longer. But um, she was, as I said, an only child. And she was very proud, I think, um, is proud of her origin. She grew up next to the ocean. She really instilled in us a love of uh, being near the water. She had a large extended family of aunts and uncles who took a great interest in her. And um, she lived, of course, during the Depression when the mills, uh, many of them were greatly impacted and her family briefly moved to Webster, Massachusetts where her father was able to get work. So they did okay during the Depression. Uh, but uh, the great thing about my mother, one of the many great things, is that she never forgot where she came from. And uh, she had tremendous uh, sympathy, interest, concern 
about working people her whole life. One of her early memories was seeing the factory workers on a picket line um, picketing the owners of the textile mill. And uh, her mother's sympathies were, were with these workers. And um, so she had a strong sense of justice, uh, I think growing up during the New Deal, seeing the Depression. Uh, and this really has remained with her uh, her whole life. Mm -hmm. And how did she get to Amherst? She came to Amherst because her parents, even though they had had very limited education themselves, and I mean very limited, although her father uh, had apparently a great uh, skill with numbers, and so maybe this is where she came by it, uh, they were determined uh, for her to have a college education, and so she went to what was then Massachusetts State College. It later became the University of Massachusetts, and uh, that's how she got to Amherst, and uh, she, of course, was the first person in her family to go to college, and it's where she met my father. They were both members of the class of 1943. And... Uh, my mother was a math major, of which there were very few women uh, in, in her class, of course. So there's a war uh, happening, and your mom decides to major in mathematics. Do you, have, do you have any idea how many others there were at UMass at the time majoring in math? I don't remember. Uh, I think I asked her once, and I think there were not many, but she excelled. She was very good at it. And it's interesting because I've learned in some sense so much history just by absorbing my mother's life and her experience. And I'm a historian of the 20th century. Her life has spanned the 20th century in some sense, a good part of it anyway. And she didn't really like history at all, but she was um, very, very good in math and science. And, uh, and so it was a class that you know, was, was, had lived through the Depression, and now they were going to be uh, facing living through this world war. You know, what fascinates me, Ellen, and you're a historian, is this idea that a young woman, Mary Fitzpatrick in this case, should go to UMass, decide to be a math major. Then she gets married. She has six children. What was your sense when you were growing up? What did she, what was your sense of her sense of herself and her own um, place in the world? I know that's a big question. I don't think my mother was terribly self-conscious about her life. And, you know, if I had to, to sort of summarize one thing about her that I think has really contributed to her ability to weather all of the things she's experienced in life is she didn't think about herself a lot. She was really engaged with her children, with her husband, with her teaching, with her work, and she just got up every day and did what needed to be done. And this capacity of my mother's to just forge ahead, I don't think that she thought about, you know, the meaning of her place in the world. I mean, maybe she did in the wee hours, if she had any wee hours and wasn't completely exhausted by us and everything else she was doing. Um, 
but I think that she did, she was very smart, and I think that she uh, wanted to, to do meaningful work, and she did so. When I was a young assistant professor, um, I had uh, students uh, who, when I was teaching at Harvard, I remember the first day I gave a lecture there, I had uh, several hundred students in the classroom, and someone came up to me at the end of the class and said, is your mother a math teacher? And it was probably one of your contemporaries from Amherst High School who had had math with her. Oh, that's great. She didn't teach it to us with this kind of infectious enthusiasm. She just laid it out to us. And she would walk in. She, she had these transparencies. I'll never forget this. She would sit there. Um, she sat uh, at the overhead projector and put on one transparency after another. And this world would sort of unfold in front of us. Oh, I can definitely picture that. She was um, interested in teaching well. She did teach well. And um, I think that she spent a very, very small amount of time ever thinking about herself. But certainly, that was my impression of her as a child anyway. You know, I remember in Amherst, uh, my stepmother had uh, her, quote, women's lib group. And they were, the feminists were called women's libbers, uh, for those of you out there who aren't, uh, aren't familiar with the term. What was your mother's take on, on feminism? Well, it's interesting. You know, the thing I remember about that, which is something that I encountered when I went to college in 1970, was my father oh, uh, saying, the first time I heard the word feminist was my father saying to me, I've always been a feminist, Ellen. <clears throat> and I had, to go, I had to go look up the word feminist. I wasn't sure what it meant. And <clears throat> I was probably 18 at the time, or 17, something like that. And, um, but then, of course, you know, that was the era, and uh, everybody was soon immersed in it. And, you know, my mother, I think, always uh, sort of uh, gave to us the idea, she had five daughters and one son, that we could do whatever it was we chose to do, up to the limit of our um, ability to work hard and uh, go at it. So I never had any sense of... Um, being constrained or discouraged, and certainly not from any intellectual pursuits. My parents were always reading, and uh, as a child, they enrolled me in this children's book club. And I remember, as a little kid, I was so excited to get a piece of mail with my name on it, and then to open it up and to have it be a book was even better. So they read off and they encouraged us, but they, they weren't helicopter parents telling us to do things. We just sort of observed their example and um, I think followed suit. Do you think she ever reflected on doing more, maybe being a mathematician in an academic setting? Did she, do you have any sense of what she might have wanted versus what the times dictated? I never had any sense that she was dissatisfied with the life choice that she had made. It's a very interesting question, and it's one that I have talked to her about, because 
When she was graduating from college, she had offers to uh, work in industry. It was, of course, the Second World War, and she had these wonderful math skills. And um, she was interested in um, getting married to my father, which I think was a great disappointment to her mother, who sort of, you know, the idea that my mother was going to get married right away and have, you know, go on and presumably have a family. And I think she once told me that her mother said something like, you know, why did we educate you? So her mother, who had had very little education, really had, um, you know, hopes that my mother would be, you know, very focused on career. And uh, I think that my mother really wanted to both get married and have children, uh, have a family, but also, you know, uh, eventually, um, I think in early on she might have said she didn't have the luxury to stay home like other uh, married women did. Um, obviously having a two-income family was helpful when you had six children, but I think there she definitely was happier to have been doing meaningful work. I was very upset when I was a little girl that my mother wasn't home on um, being Donna Reed. And if I, had to, if I had to say anything about my whole relationship with my mother over my whole life, boy, did I smarten up as I got older and saw uh, the depth of my mother's life. And as a child, you know, we watched on television, Leave it to Beaver and Donna Reed and the mother who was always home and there were, there weren't like five other kids to compete with. There was like one other kid to compete with. And um, so I envied that and I envied, uh, I certainly, you know, wished that I could have been the sole center of her attention. I mean, what child doesn't want that? I guess except the one that has it. I won't know what that was like. Uh, my mother was very fair-minded and uh, showed great equilibrium in um, her treatment of her children. We, I think, always took some pleasure when someone else was in the doghouse and there was a desire to pile on. And um, she always came to the defense, much to our chagrin of whomever was in the doghouse. It seems such a paradox. How could you be in the doghouse and then be being defended by my mother? I never heard my mother say anything in which she would have cast herself or even hinted that she was in any way a victim. She, and she, she had some big challenges in her life. She was widowed at 52 years old with six children and my youngest sister was 13 years old at the time. She had to see Jean, my sister, uh, you know, see her through high school and through college on her own without my father. My father died very suddenly of a heart attack. It's totally unexpected. Her, her whole life was turned upside down. And um, I, ne I never heard one word of self-pity or why me. She just faced the wind and moved ahead with tremendous courage. Would she have, you know, I, I, I think of her as being so much that it's hard for me to imagine her being, quote, more. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, 
it's just amazing what she accomplished in her life and all the good that she did. Uh, and um, so I think it, it, was, uh, it was a life to be, it has been, uh, continues to be a life to be admired. Well, Ellen Fitzpatrick, I would like to thank you so much for talking to me today about your mother. It was such a pleasure. It was my pleasure. And that's it for Our Mothers Ourselves, a weekly conversation about one extraordinary mother. I'm Katie Hafner, and I'm your host. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy Mother's Day. Two weeks after I recorded my interview with Ellen Fitzpatrick about her mother, Mary Fitzpatrick died at her home of many decades in Amherst, Massachusetts. She was 98. She was mom to her children and Mary to many. But I hope I speak for the thousands of students who were enlightened by her math classes through the years when I say she'll always be Mrs. Fitzpatrick to us. Mama, may I go out dancing? Yes, my darling daughter. Mama, may I try romancing? Yes, my darling daughter. What if there's a an-